Impact of Influence, the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths that they are linked to. Thank you so much for the uh, kind response to the podcast thus far. We're trying to keep it updated as much as we can and the tangled web that the Murdoch family is. Matt Harris, Seton Tucker here, and we cover a lot of different things uh, in the podcast. One of the things we haven't gotten to really is we've talked about how powerful the Murdoch family is viewed. One of the Murdoch family members, two of them actually were on uh, one of the national news shows. I don't, I don't get why people think we're so powerful. We're just like normal people, that sort of thing. Well, they said but, we're grieving just like yeah. anyone else would. And they are. There's no question. They have been through hell when you have uh, two members of your family killed and uh, all the other, and one of the family members uh, dies at uh, elderly age, all within the span of a week. But we wanted to kind of set up the history and how it, because the history is just interesting to me in the Murdoch family. Uh, Alec is, to get you the draw of the tree here, Alec's wife and son were murdered a couple of weeks ago. That is, Alec is the person you got to remember in this and we'll branch off from there. Alex's great-grandfather was Randolph Murdoch Sr., and he started the family law firm in 1910. We're from various uh, newspaper reports from uh, Post and Courier and Fitz News. And the, state uh, paper had a really state paper, all good, good, stuff. good article explaining the family history. And uh, even the New York Post uh, did some things. I'm pulling it all together here. So Alex's grandfather, Randolph. Uh, let's talk about him. Family law firm starts 1910, 1920, prosecutor, right? Then the Soli- Murdoch family solicitor. holds that. Solicitor, solicitor. That's an elected position. So you are oh, a prosecutor, yeah. but it's, he's called a solicitor. Right, right. That's a good point. It's different here. We uh, hopefully listen to the John Snyder podcast. If you haven't, go back and listen to that where he explains some of this stuff. But So, yeah, he's elected, and then they hold that position from 1920 to 2005. 85 years. Not the same person. Three different. No, no. Yeah, not, that'd be a really old prosecutor. But 85 years. I mean, that's... And, and, they, and they wonder why people think they have power. You are... For, that's unheard of uh, to constantly be elected, 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 elected. Uh, not that there's anything unsavory about it, but it's still a... Interesting that they were able to continually have offspring that could do the job. And what's interesting, uh, just a side note, even even more drama to it, the great-grandfather Randolph, in 1940, a freight train plowed into his car, uh, and he died instantly. Which, after a, night of, after a night of playing cards. So that, I thought that t- oh, yeah. that was interesting. He's playing like, yeah, a little... I don't know what he, he... Yeah, I don't know. He said after, I guess he was playing poker or something. They mention it for some reason. Yeah, they yet. mention it. I don't know if it's irony or whatnot, but he gets hit by this uh, car and dies, and it's sad. Train. I mean, yeah, train. His car gets hit by a train, I should say. And then decades and decades and decades and decades later, it is the railroad that brings the Murdoch family uh, a bunch of cash. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But a railroad company, the great, the, the, the patriarch, if you will, gets unfortunately killed by a train and then trains enter their life later uh, in a way to make I, money. I think that's kind of when it started. I think they started becoming, that became a core part of their practice is this personal injury whether it was trains or other businesses. And that was on the radar because of right. great-granddad. He uh, passes away, gets killed by the train. He's succeed, uh, succeeded by his son, 
Randolph Murlock, but they call him Buster. And he's in there for 48 years. Yeah, and he seems to be quite the character. I kind of picture Matlock in my head when I'm Matlock. reading the descriptions of him. He was really loud. I heard Boss Hogg mentioned. That was no, that was about that, that was about Alec. Oh, that was about Alec? Yeah, this okay. is about when you read the stories about Randolph Murdoch, they say he was the, the state paper said he was a win at all cost solicitor. He was apparently very theatrical. He yeah. would like to act out the murders of People. When I when Boss Hogg jumped to my mind only because they say he was chewing tobacco all the time. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Like no. Tobacco chewer. Yes, I saw but that. That's a, yeah, he, they said yeah, you're right. He did act out very. Matlock is a good. He was very dramatic too. But one of the stories that is told is this uh, guy tells a story about the fact that uh, once in a murder case, this guy says he drew an imaginary box with his finger in front of the jury box and said, "This is where Johnny is laying in his grave right now." When the jury came back with the guilty verdict, they all avoided stepping on that imaginary box Buster had drawn. However, some say... That's very bad luck, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, yes, it is very mad luck. And so some are like just thrilled by his colorful personality and his ability to put the bad guy away. Others, like John Bloom, who's a nationally known capital punishment defense lawyer, not so pleased with old Buster. Did you read some of the stuff that he was having a problem with? Because he worked on appeals for multiple people. Right, they said a lot of his death convictions were overturned. He sent, yeah, because he was sending people to death row. You know, John Bloom comes from a certain vantage point when he's talking about this. He's a capital defense, uh, capital punishment defense lawyer. The quote you mentioned was a win at all case solicitor. And he cared about getting convictions in a capital case. He did not care if it was reversed on appeal. He repeatedly did things that he had to know were improper, primarily in his closing arguments, where he could not keep himself confined to the rules. This guy Bloom is a professor at Cornell Law School. He spent 14 men to death row for egregious jury arguments. That's ridiculous. That's just sad. That's a lot of did issues you, there. Well, did you see how he stepped down for a brief period of time in 1956 because he was um, indicted by a federal grand jury for allegedly telling bootleggers to move to a nearby county so they wouldn't be arrested? <laughs> but then I guess he was acquitted, uh, so then he, several months later, went back to his post. So when they say it was 85 straight years, there was a little... There was a little, there was a little, little couple months little that stuff they were... in there. So this guy was definitely a colorful character, maybe not all good. He even did a rape case, which was terrible. Old Buster had already made an uh, almost identical improper jury argument in a rape case 20 years earlier. He warned jurors, jurors if you acquit this guy, um, I'm going to turn loose all the other rapists. Yeah, you can't. That's that's it's very that's threatening. Out that's out of line right there. Just like I'm gonna, yeah, they're all gonna come get you if you don't do it. That's yeah. that's the report anyway. So you, you mentioned that he was indicted uh, and then was able to uh, get past that. Then we move to Buster Murdoch stepping down, 1986. His son Randolph Murdoch the third fills the seat. And that's the one who died three days after Maggie and Paul. That's the one he is. So he was working right up until then. No, he had um, stepped down as solicitor, I believe, in, 2000, in 2005? Five, 2005, yeah. I mean, he was working doing law, but not, yes, he was not, 2005, he was done being a, the solicitor. Their run was over at that point. And it was an elected position, so they've been elected for all those years. So somebody was enjoying their their work in the law world. The families now, that they're, they're, when you go to their private practice, it's a century-old law firm. What did I tell you earlier in this 1910. Episode? 1910. 
the article I'm reading says considerable wealth they got from that. And they got large payouts from litigation that the Hampton County Courthouse, uh, where they have this reputation for being able to win large amounts of money from companies and businesses. Uh, what was it? You said something about it, calling it the place from hell or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, in 2004, a national public interest group named Hampton County the third biggest judicial hellhole in the country. Wow. Uh, so you could, and we go, this is where the railroad thing comes into play. There was a quirk in the South Carolina law for a while there that allowed people, if you have a problem with the railroad, you can go to any county in the state. That's, so you get hurt or injured in Columbia or Charleston or wherever, you I, take it to that, that county. I think what it is, you are allowed to take, it is, in most cases, you are allowed to take, if you're a resident of South Carolina and you're injured Anywhere, in any county, you're allowed to try in a county that that business operates. And there is a really good Forbes article yes, from a while back, here. and it says they, they give an example about a company, somebody who was injured somewhere else in South Carolina, and they actually had the accident in Tennessee. They sued yes. in Hampton County, the tire company, because they – sold those tires in Hampton. Right, which is, we would think is a reach, right? Right. But so not when this, because yes, here it is. It was a 2002 Forbes article. The woman rolled her GMC Safari van and filed the suit, even though General Motors is in Michigan. Uh, Ohio is where the Cooper Tire and Rubber headquarters is. And she had the accident in Tennessee, <laughs> so which is 350 miles from where she said. So it seems very odd. Uh, but GM products and Cooper tires sold in Hampton. Most states don't allow plaintiffs to do that. Most file cases in the county where an incident occurred or where the defendant has a principal place of business. So this is very unique. In the and article, I, in the Forbes article, there's only a handful of countries at the time that did it. And I don't think that's the case for every single thing, but in, in general, it is. Because I looked at the statute this morning, and it, it there are some exceptions, but in general, that's why. And right. also, obviously, we have to talk about, well, why would you want to go to Hampton? Right, yes, but that's why. You win big money. I think, yeah, they, they tend to award bigger, bigger judgments than In the Forbes article, it said uh, the medical, medical malpractice case 13 times the national average is what they were getting at, at times. And this was a, a, a train employee who injured his back in Charleston. And they go there, and they say that usually people just settle in Hampton County. This is the 2002 article. The 10th poorest of South Carolina's 46 counties. And in this article, they claim that's why businesses weren't opening up there. Right. They say that Walmart had plans to go to Hampton, but they decided not to on the advice of an attorney because they said it would be very detrimental to their operations. And they subsequently did not build in Hampton. They did not. You're right. And the people in the Murdoch uh, law firm were saying, that's not true. Uh, you know, I, I would protect them or tell them that, you know, I dare you to basically go ahead and do it. Other that, that ended, I think that is no longer the case that they can do that, right? That did pass eventually. What? That, that they can't take the cases. Uh, no, I think still you, going? You, you still can. Okay. okay, you still can. We'll, we'll, we'll clarify that, but I think that, yeah, I know they tried to change it and then they, they stopped it. The Murdoch family and their attorneys were able to keep that going. This is a article from the uh, the state. The one member of the law firm, Ronnie Crosby, 
is credited with winning more than 250 cases worth more than a million dollars each. Numerous cases with recoveries greater than 10 million. Now, some people say the firm's lawsuits have saved lives. There's people who say right. That's what I was thinking on their yeah. on their from their perspective. They're helping justified. They're helping people pay what they should pay yep. out to people who've been injured, and also trying to make things more safe. You know, if companies right. are actually doing improper things and making it unsafe for their employees, or just the general public, those should be fixed. Right. So, so some would argue that 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 in fact people do argue. There's people who are uh, interviewing the story said, uh, you know. They saved my life, or they got justice for me, etc. When did Randolph Murdoch the Third get his big award? Oh, that was in 2018. He received the Order of the Palmetto, which is South Carolina's highest <clears throat> civilian award. It's awarded by the governor, so Governor McMaster. For um, his work as an attorney, right? I don't really know exactly why they said. I know it's you receive for some big contribution to society. Yeah. Um, or the, the state as a whole. So now the, the I don't know if it was for the private practice or if it's for, I would assume it's for his work as a solicitor. In the article in the state, it says that they have spent more than $200,000 in state and local politics in the last decade, which 10 years, that's not a ton. That's $20,000 a year if you break it down, right? Yeah, I guess they wanted to give you the whole number for yes. impact. Because it does sound like it's huge, but when you think about I mean, 20000 is still helpful. Because I, I thought it was huge until, <laughs> until you broke yes. it down. I'm like, I broke it down. If you think about it, it says in the last decade. Now, we don't know. One year might have been 20000 and one year might have been zero. We don't know. $87,000 to political action committees. But certainly, they're, they're powerful. There's no question about that. And um, it even says in this state story that the quote from the, the article is, many people declined to comment on the story, pointing to the power and influence of the Murdoch name. Yeah, people are afraid to talk. And they're litigators, well, right? I mean, that's... Uh, well, did you see in the most recent, there was a New York Post article that came out recently, and they actually, they had that was where the Boss Hog comment came. It okay. says, Paul's daddy don't look like Boss Hog, but that's who he is. I think... Boss Hog was not actually... He, yeah, he, he declined to be named, but... Yes, yes. But, and there was another article in there that think... The state had an article or a quote uh, from a Hampton County resident who didn't want to be named that said, as a little girl, I remember daddy saying, go to Buster Murdoch. He'll make it disappear. It was always that good old boy system. Yeah. So you have all that going on again. Well, and um, Stephen Smith's mother says she feels that that she would never get justice in Hampton. Right. So there are people, there is no question there is people are afraid, whether justifiably or not, we're afraid be honest with you, some of that we are making sure we are very careful with what we say and what we don't say, and and, it, and we should be. We shouldn't say anything that's incendiary and doesn't have something to back it up. Another quote from Proctor, who we mentioned in a previous episode. Yes, he He's was the, the South Carolina Highway Patrol investigator. For the Stephen Smith case. Yes. He has a quote. He said, when we are talking about the, that area of the state, it's a place left behind. So it is the so, boss hog, old school, Dukes of Hazard, 19... 19- 60, 50, 40, right. I don't know. Um, so that, do you have anything you want to add about the Murdoch family? That is kind well, of our background. I just, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about just two things about Paul yeah. and Maggie. Yes, good. So there was, there was one quote that. And Paul's the, the 22-year-old uh, son that was uh, murdered, and Maggie is his mom who was murdered. Okay. So in the New York Times article, they say, Miss Maggie don't deserve this. And this woman, Gabby Thomas, whose property is adjacent to the Murdoch's lodge, said she'd, she'd give you the shirt off that 
off her back, that one. Wonderful woman. Them others, I don't know, but she sure sp spoiled Paul. I heard him talk back to her once so bad in the beauty parlor, once that I had to make him apologize. Hmm. Well, that has happened to me personally in Walmart, so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> how much to kids, make of it. Yeah. I mean, kids will be bad, and you, I don't know if we can... Make a general about their character and whatnot because but everyone, of one incident. Everyone really describes this lady as as very nice. She's the rock of the family. Yeah, I've She's not found sec anything. Second mom to others. You just don't see. But when you look at the obituary, it's also a little strange because you don't you know some things, but it doesn't say where she's from. It doesn't mention involvement in specific organizations and things. Right. It really just gives you very basic information. Maybe that's because she was such a background player. Or maybe it's there might be fearful for the family because she was murdered. I mean, they might not oh, want yeah. their they might not want their information out there. That's true. That's a good point. Because especially since at the, this point we're chatting, it looks like it may have been a you know a hit or a professional killing, or at least it wasn't a robbery gone bad. So. You don't want to give as much information to paper as you possibly can. And I just, I did a lot of stalking of her Facebook page before this, actually going back to the boating accident. And I found it a little weird that she didn't lock down her Facebook page, but she just, all of her pictures of her are of her family. They seem incredibly tight knit. She's obviously adored her boys. And you just, I became sympathetic to her just because. I saw a lot of similarities. She has children close to my kids' age. Mm -hmm. She loves to be around her kids. She, you know, she's a Gamecocks fan. Yeah, there you go. She's yep. a Katie, which was Did the both same kids sorority go to as me. USC. No. Oh, and her older son went to Wofford, which is where my son goes. Okay. So. I did see similarities. Well, it's got to be heartbreaking, uh, regardless of the situation, regardless of guilt, innocent, whatever. But your family's being dragged through really dramatic, uh, awful situation. Her, her sons are being talked about, her family's being talked about, and she's a big background, in a way, a background family player, it appears. It's going to be difficult, no matter what happened, what did happen, who was responsible for this or that. It's tough for a mom. So, uh, again, rate, comment, share, uh, reach out to us with questions or comments or information. Thank you, and we'll do it again soon. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care? about how I got them back. Download American Vigilante now. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. 
I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.